All right, if you join me in your Bible, um, going to be reading, actually jumping around a little bit on the back of our bulletin. So if you have a bulletin, that'll be the best place. But if you want to make a couple bookmarks, we've got James 1, Matthew 4, and Matthew 6. All right, James 1, 13 to 15. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it, is, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 6, 9, and 13. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning, and we thank you for your words of truth. We thank you for this time of worship, and we ask that as we listen to Brian speak, that we'd be humble, and that we would just have minds that are ready to learn, that if we have any thoughts about sin or any thoughts about life that aren't in accordance with your truth, that we would just reshape that and become wise, that we could serve you better and know you better and just live lives that are more free. Um, Jesus, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen. So this year uh, for our men's retreat, we had a uh, kind of a record turnout. We had uh, about 45 guys go up to the Kern River this year. And um, as Gary mentioned, we, we had a great time um, fishing and exploring and, and a little bit of mountain biking and running and uh, just different things and, and a great time together um, at the lodge where we stayed. So thank you for everyone that, that helped with that and uh, several people. We probably had 8 to 10 or 12 people help with worship and uh, it was very meaningful. Maybe the most shocking thing to me that uh, happened this morning is I got an email from the place that we rented. Um, and, and said that we actually got a full refund. So we had, I think, about 15 guys, like 25 to 28 years old, living in one uh, house um, called, I forget, the Lazy Crane Lodge, I think it was called. And uh, I was fully expecting to get a zero refund back with uh, that many guys living in the, the cabin. But So good job cleaning up uh, for all that. Um, we, we had a, a great time. And, um, you know, I mentioned this to a handful of people, or, and, and a lot of the guys know it, but on Saturday, my truck wouldn't start, and, um, and uh, so I ended up having to have it towed to back to Oxnard from Kernville, and then overnight, um, somebody smashed the window and broke into it. And thankfully, there wasn't that much in there that was valuable, um, but one of the things that, that happened that was kind of good from that, though, is this morning, I was um, looking for my wedding ring, and um, I took it off while I was on men's retreat, just because whenever I get in the water, I'm afraid I'm going to lose it, because it's a little bit big. And um, they didn't take my wedding ring. It was like right there. Whoever broke the one, they took this really, really kind of junky stereo, and uh, but not my wedding ring, which is right there. So that was kind of cool. So I'm wearing it now. 
the job of a pastor, or part of the job, one aspect of the job of a pastor is to help provide encouragement and to give guidance and instruction from God's word to help live out the Christian life. And um, this morning we are going to start a series on temptation and, and think through um, what that means and what that looks like um, in order to help us live out the Christian life because the Christian life is challenging. So one of the things I, I hope you have this morning is I hope you have your Bible with you because we're going to look at a few verses. And here's, um, for the next few weeks, we're going to frame it this way, that temptation exists, it's a part of our lives, and the overarching temptation is this, that you would view God as your rival instead of your good father. That all of us, every day, are tempted to view God as a rival, as someone that we should be equal with in our lives, instead of viewing Him as our Heavenly Father who loves us. And so as we look at that this morning, um, we're going to look at a few different passages, and we're going to begin in Jeremiah chapter 2, and, and try to help us frame this idea of that God is our good Father, and He's not to be viewed as our rival. And Jeremiah writes this. This is talking about the nation of Israel, and he's going back and he's talking about um, his relationship with the people of Israel. And he says this, the relationship starts out this way, that I remember the devotion of your youth. And so you can even think back to maybe when your relationship with Christ began, and maybe it was fun and new and exciting, and it was deeply meaningful to you. Um, and he uses a picture as uh, your love as a bride, that your heart is captured by your bride. So that's a meaningful picture. And then Jeremiah goes on and say, says that how you have followed me into the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord. That means set apart to the Lord the first fruits of his harvest. There was this close, intimate relationship that God desires to have with us. Jeremiah goes on and says, though, thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? and went after worthless and worthlessness and became worthless. And so as we think about this idea of temptation and the things of the world and the things that we experience in life that are pulling us away from our love and our devotion and our commitment to Christ, Jeremiah says, listen, God has not changed, but my people have changed. He says this, as a nation's changed as gods, even though they are no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. There are things in the world that want to grab our attention, that want to pull us away from our walk with Christ, that lead to meaninglessness. And then he says this, Be appalled, O heavens at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountains of living water, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. It's a powerful picture here of our relationship with God, that God provides us living water, fresh living water that sustains, that give us hope and joy and meaning in life. And we've exchanged that 
for a cistern, a cistern that we've made ourselves, that are broken, that don't hold water, that hold stagnant and dirty water. And so as we think about this this morning and for the next couple of weeks, when we think about temptation, we think about the idea that there are things that will look good, that will be attractive, that will want to capture our hearts. They will become rivals to God in our lives. And the temptation, or for us to think for us to think about, is this, is that God is your good father, as we sang this morning. That's who he is. And he's not to be viewed as a rival. Jesus says something very similar, and this is where we have the passage in our bulletin, when Jesus teaches us to pray. And so this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you four overarching points to frame um, where we're going for the next few weeks. So, temptation. Is God your father or your rival in your own life? Let me give you some things for us to think about to create a framework for our life so that we can view God as our father and not our rival. So number one is this. According to Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, Number one, we need help every day to see God as our Father and not our rival. We need help every day. That we need to pray every day for our heart's protection. And here's what Jesus says. This is when he is uh, speaking. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus teaches his followers how to pray. And he says this, verse 7, And when you pray, do not do something. Don't heap up these empty phrases. So there's a, a wrong way we can do it. There's a wrong way to talk to God. And then there's a right way. And verse 8 says this, For your Father knows what you need before you ask of Him. And there's that concept of Father again. He says, pray this way. That, that there is a way for us to pray. And think about this for a second. Why does Jesus have to teach us how to talk to him. We're, we're natural-born talkers. And, and prayer is just talking to God. Why do, we th- why do you think that Jesus has to take part of this sermon and devote it wholly to prayer? Wholly, purposefully, to teach us how we talk to God? Well, here's the, the answer is this. It's really hard. It's really hard to have a consistent prayer life. In fact, I can ask this question. How many of you daily pray, God, protect my heart from the evil one? Do we pray that every day? Probably not. Do we pray for the the things that Jesus talks about here in our prayer life? These are hard things. These are really hard things to pray for. And so Jesus, number one is this, is we need help every day. It has to be a part of our life. It's hard to pray. Um, one Greek lexicon that I looked at this week said this, referring to what Jesus says in verse 13. Jesus says this, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this can be a little bit misleading, because the Greek word that is uh, for temptation, did I just go out? Greek word for trial and temptation is the exact same word, and depending on the grammatical structure of the word or its usage, it will be translated temptation or trial. 
And so here's what's interesting. Jesus says this. Pray this. Lead us not into temptation. But we know, if, if you've been around church for a little while, we know that a few chapters before, in Matthew chapter 4, um, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into a time of temptation. And so we have to think just for a moment. Oh, thank you, John. That was fast. All right, sorry about that. So we need to understand what Jesus is talking about here when he says this, lead us not into temptation. Here's what a few people have said. Quote, here is God, here God is asked not to allow his people to come into a kind of satanic temptation which would lead them to fall away, but to rescue them from the power of evil and to point them to God's kingdom. Another guy said this, it is not a prayer to be preserved from, from temptation, but to be preserved in temptation. So you're not preserved from it, but preserved while you are in it. So Jesus is praying this, that when my followers go through times of hardship, through times of trial, make it our prayer that we will not be susceptible to the ways of the evil one. So number one is this, that we are to be people, according to the words of Jesus, is that we are to be people every day who are to be praying. That is to be a habit of our life, to be aware of that. Number two is this, and we're going to turn back to Matthew chapter 4. And this is where Jesus himself went into a time of temptation. Number two is this, you need to fight the good fight every day. You need to fight the good fight every day. This is so important to, to see the context here because of what is happening. And in the previous verses before this, Jesus is baptized. So Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's been baptized. And the, the last phrase of chapter 3 says this, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So Jesus is on maybe what we would call a spiritual high, a good place, um, a good place in his life. Maybe we would think of something like this. Um, my marriage is great. My kids are great. All the bills are paid. I have extra money. I love my church. I love my friends. Like, everything is great. And what happens next in his life? What happens next in the life of Christ? He is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. So, this is so foundational for anyone who wants to follow Christ to understand, and that is this, is that you are not always, you have not done something wrong that will make life hard. All right? So let me maybe back up and say this. If you live a life of deceitfulness, if you lie all the time, okay, your life is just going to be hard. Like here, here's what we do know. If you're you gossip all the time. Like, you're just a gossiper. You're going to have problems in life. If you're a liar, you're going to have problems in life. If you um, are greedy or you're manipulating people to get more money, you're, you're going to have problems in life. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this, that your life is full of the Spirit and things are going well in your life. Be prepared for life to be hard. 
All right? And here's what's going to happen. If you don't understand that Christian life, here's what you're going to do. One of two things. You're going to get super bummed out, and you're going to get mad at somebody, and it's either going to be yourself or someone else you love. Because you're, you'll be thinking this, I'm doing everything right. I go to church, I do my job, I'm nice to my wife, I do all these things, I'm trying to be a good dad, and life is still hard. Why? It's my wife's fault. It's my children's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's somebody's fault. And I'm saying, no, it's nobody's fault. It's nobody. Stop blaming people. The Christian life is hard. It's just consistently and regularly hard. And if that is unknown to you, you're going to spend your life by finding fault with everyone. And all I can say to you, if you disagree with me or you're struggling with this, is look and read about what happened to Jesus Christ. His life is at this pinnacle, this beautiful time. And I always tell people, when we baptize people here, that you better be prepared after a time of baptism, you better be prepared for hard things in your life. If you're going to take on a role of leadership, or you're going to serve, or be in worship, or come early and pray, you, you, you better be just prepared for hard things in life. And don't seek to blame people. And don't blame yourself. Because people will do that. They'll live in guilt and shame. And you get stuck there. And I'm saying to you that sometimes life is hard and there's no one to blame. It's just hard. So number two is this. You need to fight the good fight every day. It's, just, it's a part of our life. Number three is this, is we must understand the nature of two kingdoms. Understand the nature of two kingdoms. Um, when, when we think about the evil one uh, in, in 21st century Malibu, 2017, you know, the topic of the evil one or Satan or the devil is not something that we normally talk about. In fact, I, I started thinking about my life and thinking about movies and things. And there was a movie, I think it was 1984, George Burns, I think his name was, and he, made a, he was the lead actor in a movie called Oh God, You Devil. And if you have to be my age or older to remember that. But it was like this comic, kind of like this, it was a comedy about the devil. Then I started thinking about, uh, again, you have to be my age, probably or older, but then I started thinking about the Van Halen song, Running with the Devil. And uh, I, we're <laughs> well, I played it in the car with the family, and uh, I thought about playing it this morning, but the song is so dang catchy, we would probably all in church start singing Running with the Devil, and probably wouldn't be the ideal thing to have happen on a Sunday morning. I had to turn, we listened to it for about 20 seconds, I'm like, oh, okay, I think we'll take a break from this song, because whole, my whole family, the pastor's family, is singing Running with the Devil <laughs> in the car. That's the power of music. And it's... Here's the thing. We are fools to be unaware or ignorant of the evil one. That there is, the Bible teaches this, that there is an invisible power of darkness that seeks to pull you away from Jesus Christ. That wants you to be equal with God. That wants you to not see God as your father, but as a threat to your life. I came across uh, 
an interesting um, excerpt from a sermon, and it, it's a quote from a woman that probably most of us have never heard of, but this woman, her name was Frances Perkins. She was the first woman to ever be a part of a presidential cabinet. And this was during uh, President FDR's Franklin Delano Roosevelt's presidency. And she writes this in her, in her memoirs. She writes this, for example, Frances Perkin, who was the first female cabinet member and was Secretary of Labor under FDR, has a remarkable passage in her memoir talking about the president. She says, in early 1944, a young minister at the president's church in Hyde Park commended to him the writings of the mystery writer Dorothy Sayers and remarked that Sayers had been much more influenced by the writings of Soren Kierkegaard. Who's Kierkegaard, the president asked. When he learned of the, core, the core of Kierkegaard's teaching, was a f that his teaching was a fresh emphasis on the doctrine of sin and its implication, the president listened intently and jotted down the name of several books. Francis Perkins writes, several weeks later, I happened to be reporting to Roosevelt on the problems concerning the War Labor Board. This is 1944. He was looking at me, nodding his head, but suddenly he interrupted me. Francis, have you ever read Kierkegaard? Very little, mostly reviews of his writings. Well, you ought to read him, he said with enthusiasm. It will teach you about the Nazis. Kierkegaard explained, explains the Nazis to me as nothing ever else has. I have never been able to make out why people who are obviously human beings, obviously educated, obviously refined, talking about the German people, could behave like that. They are humans, but they act like demons. Kierkegaard gives you an understanding of what it is in man that makes it possible for these Germans to be so evil. This is an absolutely remarkable passage. This is historical fact. For we know, <clears throat> and this is quoting from the sermon now, <clears throat> we know for years that the leaders of the Western world, back in the 1940s, that the Western leaders, um, guys like FDR and others, were being told by Jewish leaders what was going on, but they were not believed. Essentially, this memoir is an almost admission by the president that he did not believe the extent of the evil. Why didn't he believe it? Because on secular terms, that depth of evil is unexplainable. And so we live in a world where there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the evil one. And so we must be aware of that. That's why Jesus says this. This is Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus was led, into, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, the accuser, the one who's going to place blame. We're not going to talk about the temptations this morning, but what I want you to catch is this, is, and this is the significance. If we can wrap up this episode between Jesus and the devil, here is the, the core issue. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus is hungry, and the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, and that is the core issue, if you are the Son of God, and for us this morning, if 
you are a child of God. What does that mean? If the enemy can get you to doubt that you are a child of God, he is beginning to win. Because now you are beginning to view God as your rival instead of your good, good father. And so there are two kingdoms. That leads us to our last point. And this comes from the book of James. James gives some practical advice on on how we can think through the Christian life. This is James chapter 1. And James says this, chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. So he begins with this, the assumption that there are challenging times in life even if you've done nothing wrong. There just are. You can think back uh, if you've had children before and you've got lots of little ones running around the house. It's just hard. And the temptation is to do this. Blame your wife, blame your husband, because it's just hard. And sometimes there's no one to blame. So be prepared for that. My fourth point that I'm going to take from James is this, though. Is number four is this, that temptations are common to us all, yet highly personalized. Temptations are common to us all, yet highly personalized. James says this, chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he tempts, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And the words lured and enticed are significant and meaningful for us to think through and try to wrestle with for a moment. They actually have uh, the idea of fishing, of how a fisherman um, plans to lure, to deceive, to trick people. And so James is saying this, that we have desires within us. And those desires are often good desires, but they can be misplaced or misused to lead us to sin. James says this, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then the desire, which are often good desires, when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The... uh, the one picture of, a, of the fish in the men's slideshow this morning was um, from my son, Finn. I think he, he caught, uh, is that true? I think I heard that he was the only one that caught fish. And so um, uh, we, we love to fish. And so this word in this sentence caught my attention. And um, there's significance to this word. word. And so what I did, I brought, <laughs> I brought my fishing pole. And just to try to show you, to try to capture what James is writing about here. All right? So here is my bag of tricks. And the bag of tricks 
Most of these things in here are good things. Things that we need. But they can be misplaced or misguided. All right? So let me just grab one, one thing here. My I'll start with the best one. Now, I, I had to ask. I didn't have any cash this morning. I'm going to poke a little hole in this. I'm not sure if you're, I think, I'm not sure if you're allowed to, but is that right? All right, so that's a, that's a true $100 bill. And now let's read, somebody's excited. <laughs> James says this, each one is tempted, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The Bible talks a lot about money being a very good thing. That's how we provide for our families. But the enemy can use it to pull us away. Think back to Jeremiah. You exchange. You exchange something good that God wants us to have, to be a blessing. God wants you to have money to enjoy and to be a blessing. But it can be taken. It can be lured. It can cause families to fight. It can tear marriages apart. It can tear families apart. It can get you things to say like, I need more. Just a little bit more. It's all you need. Dangling right there in front of you. If I had this amount, if I had, if I had about maybe a hundred of those, or uh-oh, a certain <laughs> somebody wanted it. We think of money bringing security. Money is a tremendous temptation. It has the power to pull us away from God in so many ways. I don't know what, this is like kind of, I guess uh, this represents like clothes and fashion and things that can pull, American Eagle, I kind of don't really, barely know what that is. <laughs> Other than I liked the logo, I thought it was, the bird flying was cool. Is that cool clothes or not anymore, like 10 years ago? <laughs> so if American Eagle is no longer cool, just put whatever is cool now. <laughs> These are always, always cool. These are Channel Island surfboards, I think, by the way. And these represent toys. And I might need some help. They're so small. It could be a motorcycle. It can be kayaks. It can be your, all kinds of fun things that God gives us to enjoy. That I know like after church, like, as soon as I'm done, I know you're like, please hurry, it's nice out. <laughs> you're going to go want to do these things. Some of these things we don't, even want, we don't even honestly want to admit. Ford Raptor. Now, since I'm the one preaching the sermon, I picked the vehicle that I like. And uh, it, Thank you, Tracy. I don't know if I can see. Okay, I'll help you. I'll put it right there. It's a little hook. So it's a real hook. Oh, yeah. Okay. So don't, yeah. Tracy's not part of the. I usually have my up-close glasses on. I'm not going to move until you say. There we go. Good. Listen, think about where we live. Does it matter what kind of car you drive? No. Well, 
That's why I like her a lot. Now, if you care a lot about what kind of car you drive, I don't like you. No, I'm just kidding. She's the salt of the earth of Malibu. Can you help me some more, Tracy? We'll go down low. This is like, you've got to be beautiful and pretty all the time for all the girls. I should, we should have got bigger hooks. This would have gone a lot faster. Okay. Thank you. Happening. Happening. Perfect. All right, we're just going to do one more, I think. Now, this just represents like sex, if you didn't know. <laughs> the best thing of all is I went to the store this morning and they were out. And so I had to, I'm like, I don't want to say that word publicly. And like, I need a condom for my sermon this morning. <laughs> if, if we can't be honest, if we can't be honest in church, there's a problem. And the more you are around church, Year after year after year, we just play nice all the time, and we fake nice, and we, we don't want to talk about men who are addicted to porn, which there are. We don't want to talk about men who will manipulate women in order to have sex. We don't want to talk about men who will abuse women in order to have sex. We don't want to talk about men who will take advantage and lie and deceive women in order to have sex. We don't talk about the guilt and shame maybe that, that women feel because they don't look a certain way. We, we build our identity on all these kinds of things. And James says that they have the power to capture our desires more than Jesus Christ. And if these things capture our love and our desires, James says it has the power to lead to death. And so when Jesus says this, I'm going to teach you how to pray, it, it matters. And when Jesus is led into the wilderness, full of the Holy Spirit, having done nothing wrong, and he's tempted, remember that the enemy will tempt you, even if you've done nothing wrong. You can, you can be a, a sincere, devoted follower of Christ, and he will still tempt you. <clears throat> I read a, uh, I was reading a book this week on temptation, and the author concluded, it's a great book, and I'll, I'll bring it next Sunday and share the title with you. But at the end, he quotes from a, one of the leading psychologists. Um, he is now deceased. His name is Bruno Bettelheim from the University of Chicago. And he talks about, he's a, a child psychologist, and he, um, a, a Jewish man who survived a, a concentration camp experience and uh, came back and taught at the University of Chicago for almost 30 years studying uh, children. And he said this, the basic anxiety for children is desertion. And 
the enemy will try that tactic with you that God doesn't care about you, that he is not your father, that he is your rival. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says this, that God is faithful. That he is faithful to his promises. And above all else, as Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 4, that we are to view God as our good, good father. That he knows what you need. He knows the desires of your heart. It is our responsibility to be aware that we live in a world full of good things that want to capture our hearts and want to pull us away from Jesus Christ. It is our job to be faithful, to be aware, to be alert of the things that can capture our hearts. Jesus is the only one who perfectly passed the temptation test. Every one of us here will fail at temptation. Every one of us here will sin. And that's why we look to Jesus Christ as the only one who passed the test perfectly. And because he passed the test perfectly, we have forgiveness. And that is the gospel. That is why he came and died on the cross. Because he, knew, he knows, he knew that none of us will pass the test all the time. That we will fail. And we need forgiveness every day. That's why he came. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak truth into our lives. That everyone here is deeply loved. That we first and foremost are, are children of your kingdom. That you are our Heavenly Father, our good, good Father. Father, I pray that as we close in prayer and worship, that we would have a moment of confession. And that if there are times in our lives when we have viewed you as our rival, as, as the one who is fighting for control of our life instead of yielding to you and loving you as our Heavenly Father, that there would be a softening of our hearts, that we would repent and come home to you. Father, you're, you're calling us home as sons and daughters of, of your great love. Father, thank you for the truth you speak to us. Thank you for your word. We love you. In the name of Jesus, amen.